Good afternoon, and welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. The California earthquake of April 18, 1906, ranks as one of the most significant earthquakes of all time. Today, its importance comes more from the wealth of scientific knowledge derived from it than from its sheer size. KPFA commemorates the centennial anniversary of the San Francisco earthquake by bringing you a documentary titled The Frisco Earthquake, produced by Ellen Hall and narrated by Sean Street for the BBC. The Frisco Earthquake combines the accounts of witnesses, both dead and living, with analysis from commentators whose lives have been shaped by the city's turbulent history. We are bringing its first airing in the U.S. to you today. Stay with us. There is something about the ground moving under you that is so awesome. I've been through a couple of them where it's been shaking pretty good. This year there was one or two small shakes. I lived through the 1956 earthquake. Well, you're out in California, digging a sign. It rocked and rolled for two days. And it was scary because I remembered the stories that I had heard from my relatives. So I was sure that the streets were going to open and that we were going to get swallowed up. Don't let the California earthquake scare you away. The Frisco Quake, presented by Sean Street. Don't let the California earthquake scare you away. Here at Ocean Beach, on the Pacific edge of the San Francisco Peninsula, on the 18th of April 1906, railway worker Clarence Judson was having an early morning swim. It was shortly after 5 a.m. Clarence although he probably didn't know it, was swimming virtually over the San Andreas Fault. He left this account of what happened next. I started to go out into the sea, and instantly there came such a shock thrown to my knees. I got up and was thrown down again. I was dazed and stunned, my ears full of salt water and a gallon in my stomach. I was thrown down three times, and only by desperate fighting did I get out at all. It was a close call. The motion of the quake was like the waves of the ocean, about 20 feet between crests, but swift and choppy, with a kind of grinding noise. Then I thought of lightning, as the beach was full of phosphorus. Every step I took left a brilliant, incandescent streak. I began to think the world was coming to an end. It's an earthquake! To the park! To the park! <laughs> The drama and heightened reality of the great San Francisco earthquake of April 1906, together with the fire that followed, evoked through the memories and accounts of survivors and in that extraordinary musical recreation recorded onto wax cylinder shortly after the disaster wiped out the city. And yet, a century on, there are those who claim that San Francisco continues to live in a state of denial. Even today, the implications of the catastrophe are still being re-evaluated, based on evidence that continues to come to light, an emerging story drawn from written accounts and official documents. And photographs. One of the most famous reports of the event came from the pen of the writer Jack London, who roamed the streets of the city with his wife Charmian during the hours following the quake. But what's less well-known is that Jack London also took pictures of what he saw. I'm going to go into the dark room. This is a wet lab. 
Philip Adam is a photographer at the California Historical Society in downtown San Francisco. I'm working on a Jack London print right now. The original negatives, and uh, they've never been printed before like this. And here we go. When we look at pictures of ruins, it really reminds us that the moment is here and gone. You know, the world was there, and then a few moments later, April 18th, 5.15 in the morning, 1906, the city was no longer there. That's really our reality all the time. We don't really think about it that much, but photographers do, because they are always aware that the moment that has just been captured is gone. And so now we can turn on the light and see what we've got. The image of another famous figure comes into focus from that dramatic Californian spring of a hundred years ago. The opera singer Enrico Caruso had been persuaded to perform in San Francisco in Bizet's Carmen, and he stayed here at the opulent Palace Hotel. As writer James D'Alessandro explains, Caruso's very presence in San Francisco was seen as highly significant. His arrival was almost a coronation of San Francisco as the great city of the American West. It was a city with enormous pride. And when he arrived at the ferry plaza in San Francisco, there was a huge crowd and newspaper reporters there. And they said, uh, Mount Vesuvius has just erupted and is threatening your hometown of Naples. And he said, well, I have never experienced an earthquake, but it cannot be as terrible as Mount Vesuvius. He said, I believe that God has sent me to this place to be safe. Those who were present that night long claimed that Caruso's performance as Don Jose was one for the ages. And Caruso received five curtain calls and went off stage at exactly midnight. And five hours and 12 minutes later, while he was in room 580 of the Palace Hotel, where, where we are sitting now, the earthquake struck. the city on the famous cable car system, you're reminded of how the fire which followed the earthquake ripped through streets barely recognizable today, apart from the names. Market Street, Bush Street, Van Ness Avenue. Occasionally there's a glimpse into the past, as for example, the car passes the giant St. Francis Hotel. But mostly, San Francisco's turned its back on the events of a hundred years ago, and the memories have been lost within the vibrancy of today's Californian dream. Not entirely though because the human witness is still there, although dwindling now, of course. My name is Herbert Hamral, born January 10th, 1903, in the city of San Francisco, California. I was here at the time of the earthquake. I do remember my mother carrying me down the stairs. That's one of the things I really do remember. Carrying me down on, on her left arm, and she held onto a banister walking down the stairs. But the rest of what I'm going to tell you now is what I've learned and what my parents, the few things that they spoke to me about. Was there a lot of damage to your house here? We never went back, and it was all burnt down. There was nothing left on that side of Market Street to speak of. 
and the earthquake shook down a lot of the people too. Did your parents ever talk about where they took you for safety that night? Of the oh, we slept in a park for two nights. Yeah, that's, that they did tell me. There was a park about three blocks away from where we lived. And I, we never went back to that house again. Turn on the ladder. No ladder, the means are busted. Then dynamite the building. The story of the 1906 earthquake is the story of two men, Dennis Sullivan and Eugene Schmitz. Eugene Schmitz was the mayor of San Francisco. Tall, handsome, charming, the typical politician. Marvelous on the outside, hollow as a drum on the inside. That's the bad side. The good side was Dennis Sullivan. If you could call a fire chief a visionary, it was Dennis Sullivan. For 10 years, he had tried to build a massive supplemental fire suppression system. He wanted to buy fireboats because of their flexibility and mobility. San Francisco is surrounded on three sides by water. He wanted to put steam pumps all along the waterfront so his men could draw salt water anywhere in the city. And then he had a really crazy idea. He wanted to build massive storage tanks on San Francisco's very steep hills. Nobody would listen to him. They thought the guy was crazy. But Dennis Sullivan was a man who knew history. Dennis Sullivan knew that San Francisco had burned down six previous times in the 1850s. Dennis Sullivan had read the report of the Fire Underwriters Association a year earlier that said only a, a, a diligent fire department has kept San Francisco from burning down again. And the fire department cannot stave off the inevitable forever. Ironically and tragically for San Francisco, Dennis Sullivan was to be one of the earliest casualties of the earthquake, mortally injured by a falling chimney in the first moments of the disaster as he lay in bed. This left the mayor himself to control events as the city descended into chaos. One of Eugene Schmidt's first orders was a shoot-to-kill order. Any suspected looter or anyone committing any other crime, which is a fairly broad category. The military commander, Frederick Funston, claims that his soldiers never shot anybody. They shot dozens of people. One historian said it was in the hundreds. Let every able-bodied man aid in burying the dead. This is Golden Gate Park, a large, verdant, undulating space which stretches across the western part of the city to the Pacific. On this warm, sunny day, it's full of cycling, relaxing or rollerblading San Franciscans. But in April 1906, it was the scene of a huge tent city, housing thousands of refugees, including the two-year-old Anita Olderlea. Today, Anita is 102, and her memories have become part of family law for later generations, including her great-niece, Chris Wiley. I'm third generation San Francisco, and so I grew up hearing these stories. Only the earthquake ones. Okay. I remember Aunt Rose told the story about one of the babies that was born. Oh, yeah. And, and they were in the camps in Golden Gate Park. And so they didn't have any milk, so they had to wean the baby on tea. That was all they had. 
as weird as it sounds, it was very similar to 9-11 where people were, you know, in the park and they had lists up of people saying, you know, I'm looking for so-and-so or have you seen so-and-so? And they would just go around from the different encampments trying to find people. We were lucky that we didn't lose anyone in our family. Just as the photographs taken by Jack London have only recently come to light, so is the diary of his wife, Charmian. It's a find that excites Stephen Becker of the California Historical Society, and with good reason. Charmian was uh, Jack's second wife, and they were quite the pair. They used to call each other mate. The little diary reads for Wednesday the 18th, and on the top she's written in red pencil, she usually writes in regular lead pencil. She's written earthquake. Earthquake. And then it reads at 5.14 a.m. The, the awful earthquake. earthquake. Mate, and, Mate I. and I on horseback. By six rode Glen Ellen and feeble-minded home. Then went to Santa Rosa on train. Awful ruins. Thence to city. Mate and I spent night in burning streets. Terrific experience. Napped on a doorstep till dawn. And then the next day, up at five, two hours ago, and then it goes on from there, day by day. Now, while they're traveling, Jack also has what we suspect was a Kodak 3A camera, one that we think cost around $100 at the time. It's a very fine camera. That's a lot of money in today's dollars. It's as though Jack and Charmian, they knew their importance. They also knew the importance of that event. In my eyes, there abides the face of a stricken man, perhaps a fireman, whom we saw carried into a lofty doorway in Union Square. His back had been broken. As the stretcher bore him past out of a handsome, ashen young face, the dreadful, darkening eyes looked right into mine. All the world was crashing about him, and he, a broken thing, Jack, with tender hand, drew me away. And when Jack and Charmian London came here, to Union Square, they were shocked by the speed of destruction. As London wrote, At eight o'clock I passed through Union Square. It was packed with refugees. Thousands of them had gone to bed on the grass. Government tents had been set up. Supper was being cooked and the refugees were lining up for free meals. At half past one in the morning, three sides of Union Square were in flames. The fourth side, where stood the great St. Francis Hotel, was still holding out. An hour later, ignited from top and sides, the St. Francis was flaming heavenward. Union Square, heaped high with mountains of trunks, was deserted. Troops, refugees and all had retreated. I'm Catherine McNeil, and I'm a native of San Francisco. Uh, my father uh, was 30 at the time and had an apartment here, but he didn't happen to be here that particular night. He was out of town. The first thing he did was to try to get back to San Francisco, and it was really quite amazing, he said, coming over by ferry and seeing the city ablaze. And it, then he walked for miles trying to get to his parents' house. Could we maybe have a look at, at your father's book? Well, my father wrote this after he was an old man, uh, looking back on his life. Well, I passed the soldiers and started walking up Market Street. The sight I looked upon was appalling. Everywhere my eyes could reach were collapsed buildings, and the whole street was piled high with fallen bricks and masonry, and the south of Market area was ablaze on a wide front. North Beach was also in flames, and there was nothing to stop the two fires from commingling, consuming all of the buildings between. 
The effect on me was indescribably shocking and deeply saddening. It seemed that I was witnessing the death throes of a great city, the city of my birth and the scene of my early struggles. And the farther I walked, the more I felt that the fallen city could never rise again. People would be too fearful of living in a place which had been racked by earthquake and consumed by fire. Van Ness Avenue is now, as it was in 1906, the widest of San Francisco's long straight boulevards, subdividing the city into the eastern downtown and the western addition. This was where the fire was finally halted, by the use of Van Ness as a fire break. But it provided Mayor Eugene Schmitz with a dilemma. In order to ensure the fire didn't leap the avenue, and so destroy all that remained of San Francisco between here and the Pacific, buildings on both sides had to be deliberately destroyed. And that included properties belonging to many of his most powerful and influential business associates. Today, the evidence of that decision remains. Up the hills west of Van Ness, many of the buildings clearly belong to another era, from the Holiday Inn and inevitable Starbucks on the east side of the street. My name is Carl Nolte. I'm a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm a fourth-generation San Franciscan. My grandfather and grandmother went through it. My father went through it. My father, who was then a little boy, thought it was a great adventure because he got to live in the park. My grandfather somewhat less so because the family fortune was supposedly ruined by the army blew up a house he was planning to open as income property, and the insurance did not pay off, so it was a total loss. And my grandmother, when I was a little boy, asked her about it, absolutely refused to talk about it because it was unpleasant. That sense of denial has become all too clear to Gladys Hansen, a San Francisco archivist who took on the task of investigating the true death toll of the 1906 earthquake 50 years ago. Today, having written a book, Denial of Disaster, she is still working on the project, receiving letters and documents almost daily from all over the world, from people who even now are searching for answers about some relative or forebear. Somehow, the letters find her. So they just addressed it to the death lady, San Francisco. And I got my mail. <laughs> I want to show you this. This just came into my hands uh, a couple of days ago, and I'm eager to uh, go over it. These are the records of reinterment, of reburials. That's right. After the event of the, after the earthquake. The earthquake. It gives the, uh, the place of origin of, of people that clearly from many parts of the world, uh, Ireland, Italy, Germany, Denmark, and, and many who are unknown too. Their place of origin unknown, in some cases the person themselves unknown. That's right. Unfortunately, look how many there are unknown. Unknown Japanese, unknown body. And you, you also have the, the cause of death which again is very graphic because it tells us exactly what the event was that killed these people crushed crushed fracture of skull asphyxiation burnt mm -hmm. falling wall fracture of skull and one here shot by soldier this would have been part of mayor schmidt's shoot to kill policy that's right in order to get the city back again, we started getting the debris out, moving that debris. Many times it was still hot. A special train was set up so it would go down into the 
financial area in the south of market, it would go out on many ships as ballast. And as the ballast spilled out, there were bones there. Even the men working on the debris trains said they saw skulls and all kinds of bones, but it wasn't their job to count the bones or remove them. At this stage, do we have anything approaching what might be a definitive death toll? You know what? At the very beginning, life was really simpler for me because as I counted them, I just took my pencil. One, two, three, four, five in the slash. We're saying we have 3,000. That I'm sure of. But over that, I don't know. I'm looking now at an image that Jack London took in 1906 from Nob Hill, view south with the city hall, what's left of it, framed between two dead trees. And it's post-apocalyptic. It's just as if we're looking at something after a nuclear bomb had dropped. It's the one image that conveys for me, more than any other that I've seen, the sheer scale of this disaster. One of the, the aspects of denial was that the pictures that reached the world of the disaster had actually been tampered with. It was alarming and upsetting to us when we came across this. One of them is a large panorama and it was taken at 10 o'clock in the morning and it looked down off of Knob Hill down to the Chinese area and the Hall of Justice below. At 8 o'clock in the morning, or 8.20, something like that, a tower on the Hall of Justice peeled off. But in this photograph, it was taken at 10 o'clock in the morning. That building has not touched. It's been restored. And here on Knob Hill, there's a link between the earthquakes of 1906 and 1989. Because when the more recent earthquake struck, measures had been put in place to set up a giant water storage tank for just such an eventuality. As it turned out, it was in vain. The shock of the quake ruptured the tank, and three quarters of a million gallons of water were lost in minutes. I was at the baseball park because a World Series game between San Francisco and Oakland was about to happen. And just before it was going to start, Here's an earthquake. My advice to you is keep your feet off the ground. As long as you're flying, you won't tumble down. California's still the best place around. Right away, I knew it was an earthquake. I was at work in the library. It was the, the noise first, the rumble. And I looked around and saw the things come off the shelves. There was stained glass panorama of San Francisco hanging in the middle of the room, and it was in three sections. And they first started to swing together, and then they all went this, and all the glass went down below. I was getting ready to go to the opera and talking on the phone. Suddenly the walls began to move in my room, and the floor began to buckle. I was living in an old 1900 house, 
that had gone through the 1906 earthquake and stood in the doorway. I was told that that was the strongest place to stand under the lintel, but that didn't make me feel too good. So I went out on the street in my dressing gown and my hair in rollers and uh, to escape. And everybody else was out in the middle of the street. Everyone feels that's the safest place. 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake was one thirty-second the power of 1906. You know, I was just in Florida during a hurricane, and I thought, these people are crazy. I can't believe they live there. And they look at me and say, how can you live in San Francisco with earthquakes? Because you don't know when they're coming. When we talk about natural disasters these days, there are parallels that inevitably come up. The, the 89 earthquake is, is obviously one yeah. of them. Another one is, is the destruction of New Orleans, which is very fresh in people's minds. Very similar. First, San Francisco had been warned about the possibility not so much of an earthquake but a disastrous fire which destroyed the city really did most of the damage last year two years ago several people warned that if a direct hurricane hit new orleans directly the levees would fail and by god they failed also there was also if you remember new orleans greatly exaggerated reports of the number of dead ten thousand the mayor said less than just over a thousand the real number greatly exaggerated reports of looting in New Orleans, they said they were looters and they showed pictures of them on television. People are astonished now that writers like myself and a few others have said the evidence is quite contrary to the official record. It was man's folly as much as nature's wrath that caused this destruction. My hope is that this centennial, this commemoration, will, will connect us to this extraordinary tale and that people will see that city see who we were, and, and start to learn these lessons and start to prepare, because we are woefully underprepared. My son, particularly, is very uh, aware of what happens to houses sitting on sand. We're on a lot of sand out here. And he's been drilling way down, so he's connecting and tied the house to its foundation. Every once in a while when something happens, people will tease us and they say, well, when there's an earthquake, we're going to come to your house because yours is the only one that's going to be standing. <laughs> the legacy of Fire Chief Dennis Sullivan is today everywhere to be seen on the streets of San Francisco. There are fire hydrants every few yards on the sidewalks and on many of the buildings too. But at the old fire engine house on Bush Street, there's a more formal memorial in the form of a wrought iron plaque carrying an embossed portrait of Sullivan. And below that, a somewhat purple inscription which reads, By fire shall hearts be proven, lest virtue's gold grow dim, and his by fire was tested in life's ordeal of him. Now California renders the laurels that he won, dead on the field of honor, her hero and her son. In, in commemoration of the event. Yes, I'm the only man that's able, as I'll put it that way, to partake in it. The rest of them are sickly. There's me and uh, about three or four women. Both hands would take care of all of my guests. The city had to recover for those that were alive. It's simple as that. But it took a hundred years to get a monument. 100 years. It's not party time. 
this is a remembrance. The church bells should be ringing. Don't let that California earthquake you away. My daughter advised me to keep my tennis shoes ready by my bed because there'd be broken glass everywhere. We're crazy. We still live here. <laughs> California earthquake. Don't let it you away. You just heard the documentary, The Frisco Quake, produced for the BBC by Ellen Hall and narrated by Sean Street. It also features Catherine McNeil, Gladys Hansen, Carl Nolte, Stephen Becker, Philip Adam, James D'Alessandro, and our own Susan Stone. Many thanks to Susan Stone for facilitating the airing of The Frisco Quake. Tune in next week when we fast forward to the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake and bring you award-winning programming in the spirit of marking KPFA and Pacifica's 57th anniversary. That's next week on Friday's Cover to Cover Open Book when we will be bringing you Rip, Rift, and Panic. If you have any questions or comments about what you hear on KPFA's Cover to Cover Open Book, you can call us at 510-848-6767, extension 212, or email me at amelia, that's A-M-E-L-I-A, at kpfa.org. With Erica Bridgman and Nick Alexander at the controls, I'm Amelia Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. The Larkspur Cafe Theater presents a world premiere concert with John Trudell and Bad Dog. Acclaimed Native American poet John Trudell offers a special preview of his new double CD, The Madness and the Mormies, April 11th and 12th, 8 p.m. at the Larkspur Cafe Theater, a benefit for the California Indian Museum and Cultural Center of Santa Rosa. This two-night concert features Trudell's new collections of poetic works, 